And welcome everybody to NWCZRadio.com, Channel 1's Down the Rabbit Hole. I hope you had a safe and happy 4th of July if you're in the United States. If you're elsewhere, I hope it was just as good. And you blew off fireworks because that's what it's all about. I am your host, Big D. And I'm Brandon. And of course, it's good to have everybody along. And this is our final show in our mini-series on Families of the Illuminati Part 1. We're, we're yeah. actually going to touch all of them. Oh, yeah. And there's 13, supposedly. I believe there's more. But there's 13 that, according to Fritz Springmeier and... And the CIA. And the CIA and several other sources that there are more. But 13, I think, is a, that's a good number, and we're going to stick with that. So we're going to cover them all. Tonight, we're going to wrap it up with the Rothschilds. And the Rothschilds is an amazing story. We could do literally several hours on this family. They are oh, yeah. considered to be easily the godfathers of the one world government movement. They're the godfathers of all the rich families. Let's just say modern time. They set the standard. They're the ones who created the formula. And it is unbelievable how far this family's tentacles go it's insane yes and many people believe that they rule the world right now there's a lot that do a lot of the conspiracy theories you know are think that you know we've talked about before with the new world order the new lizard order all of those that there is a underlying person that is running all of it and it's somebody you know i don't think it's soros like we said i think soros is a pawn i think you know we know gates is a pawn you know all these other ones and there's a lot of people think that it's the rothschilds that are in the you know they're the ones pulling the strings well the rothschilds own and have power over practically every government in the western world and i'm, I'm talking about europe here in the Americas, which would be Canada, United States, Mexico, all the way down North America. And they are worldwide in their politics, in their money dealings, in their lending, in their banking. And they have made money on the backs of pretty much every war since the French Revolution. Yes. We will explain how as we go along, because it is nefarious as it, as all get out. It's insane. It is very insane. But I mean, part of the one of the things that is interesting in doing this is I found out some things I didn't really realize. I mean, I knew there's always been like anti-Semitism, but I didn't know how like far it went and how deep it went, like, you know, in Frankfurt and all those things. But the Catholicism, the, re the rules of Catholics and Catholicism then pretty much helped him get this going because it was actually a get and it's hard to find out exactly what the rule was but it was basically like the the catholics couldn't like deal with money it was a really weird rule i could never pinpoint exactly what the official rule was yeah but during the middle 1700s let's say to the early 1800s and, and slightly beyond that mm -hmm. the the catholics who had a lot of money, had a lot of power, and had a lot of sway. As, and we all know that. That shouldn't be a, that's not a secret. No. 
they were not allowed to, for whatever reason, get into banking, lending, any of those kind of enterprises. Yeah, so it was always the Jew, the, the Jewish families that were involved in the banking. And that's one of the things that a lot of people don't, I think, don't realize. And I didn't completely realize. So I really like went down this rabbit hole and looked at it, that the reason that the, the Jewish families have always been pretty much in charge of the money and the banks and everything else is because the Catholics handed it to them. Yeah. And in the Jewish society, they were not forbidden from yeah. it, from being in this practice. No. They found a niche and they went for it. Yeah, and then the Rothschilds are, you know, a very good example of how they use that to manipulate and basically gain power even while living in the the Judengasse. Yes, and for for those of you who don't know, the Rothschilds is not their original name. That's no. not their the real name is Bauer. Mm-hmm. Pretty much the story starts with Mayor Amschel Rothschild, but Let's just go back into... So his dad is the one who changed the name. His dad was named Bauer. They lived in not abject poverty, but certainly they, were, they weren't they were rich. And he was uh, kind of a lender, and he dabbled in different businesses. And sort of in the, I don't know, not the... I don't want to say the slums, but they, they weren't high society. Let's just say that. They probably weren't even middle class. Not really, but and the weird thing is, is like I said, the Judengasse is something that, that they lived in in Frankfurt. And a lot of people don't realize this. It was literally the Jewish people could only live on one street. Right. And that was the, Ju- the Judengasse. And I mean, it was even like locked up to a point that Christian holidays, they couldn't leave the Judengasse. They couldn't, you know, leave at night. They were locked in. It was like, this is your place. So, I mean, it was a ghetto, but it was a ghetto specifically for the Jewish, the Jewish families. Right, so they basically had their own little micro-economy going on. Yes. And, and they weren't big in that economy, but they weren't really small either. They were somewhere in the middle. Exactly, exactly. So Mayor's dad had this business, and above his house, and also above his business, he put a, a crest up there. Mm-hmm. And it was a... Was it a, was it a horse? And it a, was and a red flag? It was like a red shield is, and I kept just finding things red shield. I saw one that said a horse and then another that was a octopus, but I think the octopus was added later. And I also saw a dragon at one point, regardless, he had a crest above his door. Mm-hmm. And in German, this red shield and the, whatever the animal was, was Rothschild. That was what it was translated into German was Rothschild. Yes. And so he changed the name of his family to Rothschild because he wanted his his son, primarily mayor, which is where we're going to start with the story, to kind of break out of that and get away from the sort of anti-Semitism. We equate anti-Semitism with really being Nazi Germany. It goes way, be- way beyond that. Mm-hmm. And they were they were part of it. And again... I think, this is my opinion, they played the same card, and they have been since then, that George Soros plays, because they were not practicing Jews. No. They were just of the Jewish origin. And so anytime they were questioned or they were criticized, they immediately went, and they still do, go into, well, you're anti-Semitic because we're Jewish. 
Mm-hmm. So we basically, we're going to do whatever we're going to do. And if you say anything bad against us, well, that's because you're anti-Semitic. And that's the same thing Soros does. That's his playbook. Yeah. Even though he worked against the Jews, he worked for the Nazis. And these guys have stated several times, over the Rothschilds have stated many, many times, we have no allegiance to any country. We have no allegiance to any peoples. We only are allegiant to ourselves and to money. That's it. Yeah. So Mayor Rothschild was born in 1743. He was given the official title of the founder of the family. Now, obviously he wasn't, but he was the one who started the whole banking thing. And apparently he was quite bright. He was under the umbrella of a local banker guy who saw that he had talent. So he started moving him up the chain. Again, these guys were pretty amazing. They lived, so when Mayer was born and when he was living in his dad's house, there were like 11 or 12 people in a very tiny space. Yes. So they were penny pinchers. They saved money. They didn't buy anything. They were very, very stingy. So hang on to that because that comes into play as we start going down the lineage of this crazy family. So he starts banking, and he realizes that he can make way more money not lending to people, but lending to governments. Because governments are backed by taxes. It's a guarantee. So that's what he starts doing. He starts lending money to governments. And starts funding projects. And so let's say, so he's living in Germany. Germany needs to build something. They go to the people, say, hey, we would like a tax because we want to build this. People would say no, vote it down. Well, then the government would go to him and say, hey, can we borrow such and such amount to build this anyway? And then we will pay you back. And he would make a business decision and usually would loan them the money. Yeah. Because if they didn't pay it back, they owed him. That is the formula that the Rothschilds run to this day. Yeah, they, they're one of the ones, they're one of the families. And I think this is what, what helped Mayer really get going was not just his, his idea of building the family and sticking together. It was also the idea of sometimes favors are worth more than money. Oh, Yes. 100% absolutely. Because as history rolled, they would bank countries mm-hmm. who were at war with each other and they would bankroll each country, knowing that the winner obviously was going to pay off because they would be richer, they would have resources and they would have money, and the one who didn't win would be either be indebted to them, owe them, or if the other cuz a lot of times, many people don't know this, but when the U.S. goes to war and we bomb the crap out of somewhere, we rebuild it. Yeah. So we funnel tons of money into that region to rebuild what we destroyed. They're the beneficiaries of that on both sides of the war. Yeah. And so there's a very famous cartoon of Nathan Rothschild. He was the son of Mayer. And he mm-hmm. was the sort of ahead of the British bank. And, and we'll get into why in a second. But famous cartoon, he's sitting on a huge pile of money. He's pinching coins. And there's a group of 
fat cats, about six or seven of them in front of him with their, with their hats out, kind of kneeling to him. And on the coats of each of these people are the name of countries like Greece, France, UK, because that is the reality of what was going on. Yeah, because they were bankrolling four countries. I mean, it was one of those things a lot of people, I don't think a lot of people realize the way that the high finance was working with this. And, you know, Mayer was brilliant in the fact that, you know, you know, like you said, Nathan ran, you know, England. I mean, he had children really just to send them out to continue his business. Oh, yeah. Well, and Mayer out with his families. And one last point about Mayer. And we could go on and on about Mayer, but oh, yeah, well, he was brilliant. One last thing that he did. So by the time he died, he was worth, by today's standards, already billions. Yeah. Richest man on the planet. And he was really weird about where his money was going to go. So he made it a mandate that his family had to stay together, that no money could go to anybody outside of a Rothschild. Yeah. And so essentially because he made this rule, his, what was it, five kids? He had five kids. They all had to intermarry. Yep. So this family is rife with incest. Cousins, one Rothschild girl married her uncle. Mm -hmm. And as you go down the list, I mean, eventually by, I think, the fourth generation, they started kind of marrying outside. But it was a huge scandal. Yes. And then when you get down to today, the, the Rothschilds that are around today, they're all hooked up with like Hiltons, people who run huge businesses. These are, these are basically uh, marriage mergers. Yeah, which is what happened with the royals way back when, where it was, you know, you married someone from Germany to, to keep the, the, the fighting down. You know, that's how Queen Victoria ended up having like half of her children were running the, 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 the Europe. Just so we don't, we, we don't get any emails about, oh, you guys are just against rich people. We're not. We're all about making, I'm all about making money. I have no problem with people who are wealthy. I have no problem with people who actually make money. There's, yeah. Unless it's your main driver and unless it owns you or like just eats your soul, that's a problem like anything else. But it's not the fact that they had money. It's what they did with it and how they used it. And the Rothschilds, in my opinion, are the most evil family that's ever existed. They are. And I mean, it started off, like you said, with Mayer. I mean, he was just, I think, trying to get out of his. his but he never left the, the June Gaza. He stayed in the June Gaza. And what a lot of people don't realize, too, is I think part of the reason why they had no like love for any country. We talk about them being from Frankfurt like it's Germany, but it wasn't Germany. No. At that time, Frankfurt was a free city in the uh, the Roman the Holy Roman Empire. It was considered the free city of Frankfurt in the Holy Roman Empire. So it wasn't Germany at that point. Exactly. So Mayer had these sons, and what he did was he taught them the trade. He taught them all his, how he was operating and what he was doing as far as lending money, how he lent money to all these countries. So he had Nathan move to London and start the, the Bank of Rothschilds in London. He had Amschel, who stayed in Frankfurt, kind of took over for his dad. 
Solomon went to Vienna, Carl went to Naples, and James went to Paris. Their goal was, and their idea was, we're going to own this entire place. Yes. So we're, we're going to branch out. I want all of you to branch out. And you have no loyalty to this country. You're only there to basically lend money, gain favors, and control people. And that's exactly what they did. They, they went in and with tons of money, tons of influence, tons of sway. And some of them even ended up in the government of where they were at. Some of them basically ran the countries. One of them, uh, I don't think it was in this crew. I think it was the, the next generation ended up being the financial advisor to the queen. The political sway that they held and how they did business, because what was good for the Rothschilds wasn't necessarily good for the country, but they didn't care. Yeah, no. It was all about them. It was all about them. Right. So they would, you know, they had the Italian branch, the French branch, and Germany, London, and all of that. And so this is where this idea of the one world government comes from, because they explicitly stated that they were tired of the different laws and the different regulations and the different problems that they were running into with each of these places. And so, because they basically owned these countries by this point through all of their dealings with finances. And, and they also, we, we talked about this, I believe, with the Rockefellers, where they gave a lot of money to charity things. Yes. And so they would dole out all this money, but it was not without massive strings. Yeah, it was like, we're going to give you this money, but now you owe me this. And you know, like we said, a lot of these families realize really quickly that sometimes having someone owe you a favor is worth more than money. You know, it's one of those reasons why you look at and see, you know, you really want to know what a, a politician's really about. Look who's bankrolling them. You know, and the Rothschilds, the Rockefellers. And it's one of those things where with the Rothschilds, you notice that they really didn't get a foothold in the U.S., but I think part of the reason for that is the Rockefellers were there. I really think, look at things, the Rockefellers were their arm in the United States. No doubt about it. There's no, they did actually send somebody over here, and it's under very mysterious circumstances. Mm-hmm. This Rothschild, um, I'm trying to remember which one, I believe it was Henry. It was one of them. It sent him over here during the early days of, of the U.S., and he was going to establish a bank here. But I think, as we've talked about many times, the U.S. Constitution is an unbelievable piece of work that is really the only thing that's holding back the New World Order and, and the One World Government System. And they, re- they recognized that, and they couldn't figure out how to get around it because they were so used to the European system. Yeah. So they recruited the Rockefellers and maybe even some, of the, some others who were very wealthy and you know, a, a financial means at the time, but definitely the Rockefellers and said, hey, let us show you what we've been doing. If you can figure out how to run that here, we will back you, we will finance you, we will lend you all of our expertise, but you have to be on page with us because this is what we're working towards. Yeah. And the Rockefellers said, absolutely, you guys are the richest family in the world. There's no doubt about it. We're in. I think that's pretty well proven. 
I think so too. And I think that's why it's one of those things where we talk about with the, the Rothschilds, where we basically say there, you know, if there were, if I had to pick somebody that was known and say, this is the person who is in charge of the new world order, everything else, I wouldn't say a person, I would say it was a family and it's the Rothschilds. Oh, 100%. I'm not totally positive that the one world government system was set up explicitly under mayor. I think it was Nathan. I do. I'm with you on that. The more I reach search into Nathan, he I think took, Mayor set it up, got it like started, got the idea, put it in Nathan's head, and then Nathan's the one who finished it off. This family, as you go down the tree, because Nathan had Lionel and Nathaniel, and then you go down, and then there's Nathaniel, Leopold, Nathan, Nathaniel, Anthony, Henry, Victor, Evelyn, uh, Philip, Jacob, and Philippine. And it just, from him, it goes all the way down, and they stayed in England. They did not waver. They didn't move. They didn't go anywhere. Yeah. The Frankfurt branch is essentially, eventually folded, as did the Naples one. They actually, yeah. at, at one point, they actually merged. It didn't work out. The two most successful was London and Paris. Now, not that the other ones weren't successful on some level. They just weren't as successful as London and Paris. And the Paris one is probably where you get a lot of the conspiracy. If you've heard anything about the Rothschilds, along with Napoleon. Yes. And the whole French Revolution and everything, there are massive conspiracies and some very solid evidence that they were behind the whole thing, that they double-crossed Napoleon. They had to get he was on to them, much like we talk about JFK here. Yep. Being, being on to secret societies. Well, Napoleon was on to them. And that's who he was out to defeat. And so they had to get rid of him like they do today. They created this massive smear campaign, called him all kind of names. He was, you know, an awful... It, it, like, in the short, he's not... He was average height. He wasn't short, but that was part of the propaganda to make him seem... Why would you be afraid of a short little leprechaun, basically? Yes. Oh, they started that whole thing. Yeah. You they know, started the whole thing of him being short when he really wasn't. Yeah. Like you said, he was like six feet, he was six feet tall. And the average, the average male height at the time, he was taller than the average male. So this idea that Napoleon was this short little guy on a horse was meant to discredit, defame, and everything. And they put this propaganda out, and then they worked behind the scenes to completely wipe him out. And then, of course, history is, as we know, is written by the winners. And so you read the history books, and oh, yeah, Napoleon, he had to be defeated. He, he had to be taken down because he was working against the interest of the government and wanted to establish this new government, which was you know, not going to be beneficial to the people, and on and on and on. All baloney. The whole thing is completely made up. Oh, it is. It's completely made up. He was... He was trying to take over, but I mean, he was trying to, you know, I, I think he's one of those ones that we almost have to go down eventually because a lot of things I've read about him. I mean, he really, I don't know if he's as bad as they say he was. I don't think he was a great person, but I don't know if he was this horrible person like they, they make it out to be because like you said, history is written by the winners. I'm going to make a comparison and I think a lot of people are going to flinch when I say this, but I think he is a lot like Putin. Yeah. All we hear is, you know, how Putin's terrible, 
and that uh, he is the you know worst human being on the planet, and he's attacking this poor little country. And look, Putin's no angel. I'm not a Putin fan. I think Putin's got a lot of problems. However, I think a lot of what we're hearing is propaganda. And if you really look into why Putin is trying to defend his his land and fight back what's going on over there in Ukraine, it's a very similar situation. Mm-hmm. So you have to be careful about the propaganda that you hear. And again, hear me clearly. Putin, I do not believe, is a hero or, no. or, or a great guy. I do think he's fighting for his homeland, and I do think he recognized what's going on in Ukraine. And in his own way, he's fighting against a new world order that was threatening the sovereignty of his nation. Whether you agree with how he, he runs it or not, that's not the point. And Napoleon was doing the same thing, and it was because it went against the interest of these bankers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very true. And it's one of those things, you know, with it's in his mind, he's correct, and he's defending his homeland. And whether you agree with him or not is, you know, that's kind of up to you. But really, it's him defending what he believes, you know, is defending his homeland. Yeah, what's best for him and his people and whatever. So back to the Rothschilds. You've heard a lot about the World Bank. We hear about this all the time. The World Bank has is doing this, and the World Bank is setting this price, or the World Bank is setting interest at this level. Well, who are the World Bank? Well, the World Bank have been, always have been, and still are, even though there's different names involved. That is the Rothschilds. Yeah, they invented the World Bank. They operate the World Bank. They, again, lend money to nations, nation states, world leaders. And so they created this thing called the World Bank. Nobody voted it in. There's not a, I'll just say, a conglomeration of nations that have come together and said, let's establish a bank. They just decided one day, you know what? We're the World Bank. Mm-hmm. And everybody was like, great, we need a World Bank. And I've seen estimates all over the place as to the current worth, net worth of the Rothschild family. And it runs anywhere from, on a super low end, and I don't buy this for a second, of $250 million, all the way up to $500 billion. So somewhere in between there. Somewhere. I mean, it's like one of the ones that I saw was so much looking at it going there. There wasn't even that much like that would make them have more money than the world. Well, a lot of people think they actually do. Yeah, I'm not saying they do. Here's where we get into what normally happens with these families. So you you start with Mayer. He's super wealthy. Then he has six sons. They become like even more like they take it to another level. Then you get the next generation in, and they, they did fairly well. They worked hard. They carried things on. It was In this family, it was the fourth generation that started to pull their foot off the gas. Yeah. And they started collecting art, and they started pursuing their hobbies, and they started you know, basically living like fat cats and not doing really anything with the family business because what they did was they just hired a bunch of people to run it you know, you guys run it, we'll pay you well, and we're going to sit over here and reap all the benefits. And we've got so much money in the bank from our ancestors that, you know, we have generational money 
And so we're not worried about it. Yeah. And that was essentially the fourth generation that started down this train. But by the fourth generation, there were also way more Rothschilds than there were back at the top of the chain. And so this money gets spread out, and some of them were super wealthy. Some of them didn't really do much with it. Some of them, you know, collected art that's invaluable and by today's prices are, you know, off the chart. And so accumulated wealth in the family, not particular any particular individual, but as a family, is astronomical. Yes. And, and like we said, I think part of it, too, is, um, you know, if you start putting into, you know, a dollar value on the favors that are owed to them. Yeah, it's astronomical. Well, that can't be. There's no way that you can account for that. No, but that's what I'm saying. I mean, they have what money that they do have, which they're very good about hiding what they really do have and how much money they have, you know, because part of that's probably going to be, you know, liquidated assets. Some of it's going to be stuff they own. And I'm sure they own things that we don't even know about. For sure. They lost some. And part of the reason, like a lot of people don't know this, like you mentioned, the Frankfurter, you know, chapter of the family pretty much closed. Part of the reason that closed was, well, I mean, we all know what persuasion they were and what happened in the, the 40s in Germany. So that kind of is why Frankfurter went away, because, you know, Germ German Jews with money didn't last very long. So, well, and many, many people and there's pretty good evidence if you want to go down that rabbit hole, believe that when central banking came to the United States, when we talk about uh, the creature from Jekyll Island and how they got together and created the Federal Reserve, which has nothing to do with anything federal. It's not an official yeah. government office up by any stretch. That they were right. the they were, like. that they were the puppet masters. That they pulled the strings on that. Yeah, and that's it. There's a lot of people that think that they are they're the ones that are still pulling the strings with the Federal Reserve. And like you said, a lot of people don't realize if you were to go up to you know. 10 people on the street and ask them, is the Federal Reserve ran by the U.S. government? I can guarantee you probably 10 out of 10 are going to say yes. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Those same 10 out of 10 are going to tell you that the CDC is ran by our government as well, not a public organization that's ran owned by the, the you know, the the pharmacies, the pharmaceutical companies. I mean, a lot of people don't realize that half these things that we think are government agencies are not. They're public ran, just like the Federal Reserve. Right. And, a and uh, again, a lot of this started with the Rothschilds because yes. they would set up these. They set up national banks all over you know, Europe because they owned the countries. Right. And it's a, it's a propaganda thing because if you're like, well, let's see, what's the safest place to put my money? Well, I'm going to put it in the national bank because it should be backed by the nation. And if something goes awry, they're at least going to be good on their you know, their promises that my money will be there. But it had nothing to do with the nation that they no, were in. No, no. The other thing a lot of people don't know about the Rothschilds is that they were really heavy. And there's, this is not a conspiracy at all, that they ran the gold market for generations. Yeah. They had a corner on the gold market. They own more gold than anybody in the world. And they would get together with uh, there's like a couple of banks in Europe that also were really big into the gold trade. They would get together like once a month and set gold prices. Yeah. Like they just sit down and go, let's see. Okay. What should, be, what should the price of gold be this week? It had nothing to do with supply and demand. 
had nothing to do with actual value of the gold. It was just how much money do we need or how, how much do we want to sell? So let's raise the price. We'll sell a bunch. Then we'll lower the price in a few months and buy it all back. Yeah. And they did this for a long time. And here's the crazy thing. When they, when they finally decided to get out of it, they jacked the price up quite a bit, sold off everything, and then said, no, nah, we're out of the gold market. And it dropped by like seven bucks an ounce the, that day. And then it just kept falling like a rock. Yeah. Imagine having the power to sit down with a couple of bankers here or there and saying, how much money do we want to make? How much manipulation of this market do we need to do and then being able to pull it off and nobody says a word yeah that's what we know about we know for a fact that they did that in the gold market what else are they doing it with well a lot of people think that they've helped with the, that they're part of um working with or maybe even controlling the the beers who run the the, the, the diamonds the diamonds and a lot of people don't realize diamonds are a lot more, they, they have a lot more common than people think. But because De Beers owns most of the diamond trade, they just, they have thousands of them in warehouses that they're like, okay, we'll release this many this year. That's the only reason diamonds are worth as much as they are is because De Beers has control over them. So, and, and that's a whole nother random thing. But, you know, that's where it comes down to is, I mean, De Beers is doing the same thing with diamonds that the Rothschilds did with gold, you know, and the Rothschilds, I mean, there's so many, if you want to go down conspiracy theories of the Rothschilds and how much they own money, they even, a lot of people say the Rothschilds are the reason not only like, you know, the Napoleonic Wars, but the war of 1812 and both world wars. Yeah. And both world wars. They say that war of 1812 was basically because the U S didn't give a charter to their bank. So they said, fine, we're going to start a war with you with England because we own England. Exactly. Well, I think it's pretty well documented that that's exactly what they did. Yeah. The other thing that I find just diabolical about this family is, and they laugh about it, they've written about it, and I've actually listened to some of the latter Rothschilds, and I think they're passed on by now, but there's speeches on YouTube of these Rothschild kids, grandkids or whatever they are, giving speeches about how they created depressions just because. Depression in England, depressions in France, some say the, the Great Depression here in the United States, all manufactured by them, all of them. Why? Well, a couple of, couple of different reasons. One, the first one is because they wanted to see if they could. They just, how much power do we have? And so they said, let's, block supplies let's massively inflate the currency let's see if we can create basically financial chaos and then we're going to come into the rescue and we're going to get rich let's just see if this works it was a gamble yeah and it did so the panic of 1825 britain was had a huge stock market crash which they orchestrated I think like six London banks closed, 60 country banks in England closed. All these banks are going out of business. Everything's going to hell. People have, don't have food. It's a massive panic 
1825. Who comes into the rescue? Well, it's Nathan Rothschild. And he supplies enough coin to the Bank of uh, England to basically stay afloat. And then they infused a bunch of gold because, of course, they owned all the gold. They infused a bunch of gold reserves into the economy. And once the, everything sort of settled and got back to normal, the Bank of England ended up owing them tons of money for all the gold and all the coins that they gave. Because they don't just hand, this is not a charity. They're not handing this out out of benevolence and saying, hey, we're going to help you out because we see you're having problems and we're just happy to be the richest family. Everything was tied to you owe us. Yeah. And that's what they did. I mean, they were they were the ones that originated. I mean, maybe not originated in history, but like modern history of the let's create a problem so that we can fix it and be the heroes. Oh, they, yeah. Mean, they, they started that. The um, tragic yeah. or crisis reaction solution. Yeah. Which, I mean, our government it loves that. You know, let's create the problem so that we can fix it and we can be the heroes of fixing and saving you from what we created. Yes, and a lot of people who don't understand that, this is how they intend to strip all your rights away from you. And they don't, they're not actually coming to you and saying, you know what, hey, we're going to strip your rights away from you because they know everyone would say, absolutely not. We're not doing that. No. But if they can create a crisis... And everybody's like, well, I can't handle it, so where's my government? And the government says, well, we're right here. Here's what you got to do. Just do this, and we'll put you right back to where you were. And everyone's like, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, I'll do it. And they just hand it over. The Rothschilds invented that, that whole thing. Yeah, and we thank them for it. Thank them for saving us from a problem that really never existed. One of the uh, American heroes is who fought against the Rothschilds was Andrew Jackson. And and you should go down that rabbit hole. We don't have time to go through the whole thing. But Andrew Jackson realized what was going on. And he realized when they showed up over here what they were up to. And they were trying to establish this central bank in the United States, much like they, they were everywhere else. He was asked one time what his greatest accomplishment was. And he said his, his reply was, I killed the bank. Doesn't make the history books. You don't really hear about it in reference to Andrew Jackson. But Andrew Jackson saw what was going on and essentially fought it off and sent them packing. Obviously, they, already, they had launched their tentacles into several families here who carried, carried it out to a certain degree, but still nothing like Europe. Yeah. Nothing. Because if you go forward to Soros, if you, know, if you know anything about George Soros and how he got his money, it's the same way the Rothschilds did. He literally almost bankrupted England and several other countries by yeah. bet, betting against their money, by loaning them money, and then pulling the rug out, and then cashing in on it. It's a, it's, it's a crazy game. We're... You and I will never be involved in this because it's money that we can't even fathom. It's, it's politics that we can't even fathom. It's a level of evil and wealth and power that most people can't even remotely grasp. I'm one of them. 
I, I can't even I can't even imagine having that kind of power and it not corrupting. And it does, unfortunately. I mean, and you see what happened here. I mean, it corrupted so much. And then it's one of those things like we talk about where you have by the time you get to the second, third generation, well, really third, fourth generation, then they've grown up with money so much they don't understand what it's like to be a normal person. According to this article that I read, I thought it was a very interesting statement. It was talking about, obviously, the Rothschilds and the French Revolution and so forth. It says, the New World Order refers to a movement among banking, media, and academic elites, the legendary Rothschild family foremost among them, with philosophical roots dating back to the days of the French Revolution. The New World Order envisions the future establishment of an integrated system of, quote, global governance. And you hear that term a lot coming from our politicians. Mm -hmm. So this global government's to be erected upon the ruins of the old world order, a world based on sovereign and independent nations. And they use this word salad like that because people will go, well, yeah, what's the problem with sovereign and independent nations? Well, it's sovereign and independent nations owned by them. Yes. Where they control the finances, which controls everything. In fact, it was early on, and I believe it was um, I believe it was Nathan who said at one point, if you control the money, you control the people, you control the people, you control the government, you control the government, you control the world. That mm-hmm. was that was his essential essentially that was his philosophy. Yeah. Which I mean in a lot of ways, I don't know if they had to really control the world. They because the world was handed to them. Once they got to that certain point. If you look at it from several different angles, there's been a lot of people, a lot of successful people, a lot of bankers, a lot of people who with upstart businesses, a lot of people who've done really extremely well. You look at some of the people that, you know, modern times, you got Jeff Bezos, you have Elon Musk, you can put Bill Gates in there. You can put a lot of people who have made tons of money. They're not even close, not even close to the wealth that this family accumulated, not even in the same arena. Most of the things that I read that said pretty much if you put Bezos, Gates, um, even the Rockefellers and a lot of these other families together, they still would not get to what the Rothschilds. No, no. And, And so you have to wonder how did fate or what were the circumstances that dictated that this this one guy who was apparently a fairly smart guy, but not like the smartest guy in the world, set this whole thing in motion, and then his family carries it on, and it just goes down, 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 and they just accumulate more and more power, wealth, power, wealth. And again, they have funded pretty much every group that you can imagine. They were hooked up with the, you know, Adam Weishoff, who created the Illuminati. They've funneled tons of money into all kinds of secret societies. They um, bankrolled kind of the resurrection of Israel, not because they're practicing Jews and not that they even really care. They wanted a seat at the table. Yes. That's what they wanted. They, they wanted a seat at the table and wanted to dictate policy. If you look up the Rothschilds now and you just Google them and like, you know, Rothschilds currently, they actually only have two businesses that are still, quote, functioning. They're never on the top 100 Forbes list or 
you know, the richest or the best companies in the world because it's, it's a facade. It's a front. Oh, yeah, it's a total front. A total front of total. I mean, a lot of their money has been spread out so far with the family is they tried to keep it enough that it's in. And I think that's what it is. There's enough of the family members now in different places because a lot of things that I read don't even mention their family's ties to what? Israel? Yeah. Israel. Yes. Israel. Uh, there's a many that don't even tie into that. And then you can go and see where the whole family, like a huge section of the family moved to Israel. And there's a list of things and places in Israel named after the Rothschilds. So there's a lot of money in Israel that's theirs. There's a lot of money in other places that I move. I think they diversified so far that they're able to hide. And I think a lot of their, their wealth also, like I keep saying, comes from favors. So many families, so many people owe them. Well, and they go to, so what they do is they go to these people who owe them a favor. They don't ask for money back. What they say is, is let's, there's a policy that we don't like because it's not beneficial to us or to our interest or to what, how we think the world should be operating. So rather than paying back the money, we want you to go in and convince the people or to make this law or to create this situation not because it's good for the country not because it's good for you not because it's good for mankind or society it's because it's good for them and when you have a singular family running around the world their only goal is to further themselves and to further their thoughts and their philosophy and they're dictating policy and they're kind of pissed because there's a lot of different rules and regulations around the world. It'd be, oh, so so much easier if we just eliminated all these nation states and we eliminated all these different rules, just brought it all together under this one umbrella. And who cares about the people? They're all just useless eaters anyway. And this is where the new world order comes into play. And they are big, huge advocates and a lot of people call them the God, the God family of this. Yeah. yeah, very much so. I mean, and it's one of those things. I mean, it's crazy to look at a lot of this because, I mean, part of it, I think, you know, like we talked about is I think a lot of it started with Mayer. He got it started. And then, like we said, his family kept it going. But part of that, too, was, you know, it was what the, the land grave of Hess, whatever, Hess Castle, land gravata of Hess Castle, which helped mayor get a lot of it once he got into that royalty group and was able to get their money and he had control of their money while they were in hiding from napoleon and then he was able to use that money to buy other things and to trade and do stuff and you know loan other company you know to napoleon and his enemies and everything else and play both sides there's a whole bunch of stories that go along with that and then he told the family is the only way this works is if you stay together it has to be one company ran in different places Right. And along the way, they bought up all the media. They, yeah. bought, they bought up massive amounts of world media. You never, it's very rare, unless it's coming from a quote, conspiracy theorist or somebody who is considered a kook, you rarely see anything negative written or any kind of documentary about the Rothschilds. Very rarely do you see it in a negative light or questioning them or actually going through their history and breaking it down. It's pretty rare. 
No, I mean, for, for us to even get most of the stuff that I have on this is multiple different things where I had to find different pieces here, different pieces there. There is very rare that I was able to find one place that just had a, a complete breakdown of their history. I know the one thing, like you said, they come from the Bowers, but there's nothing that I could find definitively on why they changed their name from no. Bowers to Rothschild. There, it sounds like I kept finding different things that said something happened where the Bowers name got tarnished, but I can't find what. No, it's just, it's a very, it's, it's just a, a statement of fact, like, well, they were the Bowers and then they became the Rothschilds because they had this shield above their door. But that doesn't make sense. Yeah, but there's nothing, like I said, there's a couple things that I could see where they're like, oh, well, th something happened and they, their name got, you know, whatever, uh, tarnished in some way so they changed their name to rothschild to go with the the red shield above their door but there's nothing that says why bauer suddenly became bad right. what did they do that made the bauer name be synonymous with something bad but there's nothing that it just it's glossed over in every everything i will say that in my uh research and i i had to pay for this and so it's behind a paywall but there's a guy named Mike King, and he runs a website called Real History Channel or RealHistoryChan.com. RealHistoryChan.com, and he has a two-volume, and they're each about 320 pages or so. He did a massive deep dive on the Rothschilds, and the I've read both of them. And like I said, we could just go, we could go on and on and on because it's just insane how they have dictated history. So the two two books are called Planet Rothschild: Forbidden History of the New World Order, Volume One and Volume Two. I can't recommend it enough. You can order it. It's not that much. It's it's a PDF file. It is probably the most in depth and precise line-by-line line, dastardly deeds that the Rothschilds have done since 1673 to the present. Yeah. And a lot of people don't realize, even today, the Rothschilds are hooked up with, they're in, they're in wine, they're in hotels, they're, and with the big, big names. You know, one of them's married to one of the Hiltons, one of them's married to some royalty, and this is how they do this. They groom their kids to go out and find families that are beneficial to them. Once they broke out of the, hey, you got to marry your cousin phase, they're like, okay, yeah. if you're going to marry outside the family, then you're going to have to go marry somebody who is beneficial to us, that we can create some sort of partnership or we can, I'll just say, use them to further what's going on. And so it's... It's incest in a different way because it's these big business, massive global corporation, incestuous relationships, and they're involved in all of them. Well, they're involved in everything. And apparently their fine art collection is second to none. Like you could put together all the fine museums in the world and it doesn't touch what they own. They, they own and there, there was a time during where the Nazis came in and took over one of their places and stole a ton of stuff and kidnapped a Rothschild. Yeah. And they, the Rothschilds paid a ransom to get this guy back, 
And it's to this day still the largest amount ever paid for an individual who was kidnapped. It's a, it was a massive ransom. They paid it, got him back. And then when the war ended, they did get a bunch of their paintings and stuff back. So I was looking into that, and I was looking into what kind of stuff they stole. Seems to me when Hitler was going around rounding up all these spiritual artifacts, remember when we talked about that? Yep. Where he was trying to get all these spiritual and occult uh, symbols and looking for the Holy Grail and all these things to bring them together because they all contain power. Well, the Rothschilds owned a lot of that stuff. Oh, I'm sure. And so that was part of his raid was to the, he went in and took all kind of artifacts that they owned that supposedly had spiritual properties. So those he set aside and the other ones, he kept half for himself and he was splitting it with one of his top generals. And it was just, that was, that was a side note. But strangely enough, the Rothschilds, a lot of people do not hear about this, but the Rothschilds have a pretty sketchy past when it comes to what they practice as far as, I'll just say, religion or the occult or whatever. They say they're Jewish and they use that as their, oh, you can't say bad things about us because that, that's anti-Semitic. But uh, they're not, you know, it's like me saying I'm Mormon. My family's Mormon, but I, I don't follow a, a, a thing to do with it. Right. It is this, it's the exact same theory because if somebody criticized you and you're, you know, you're like, well, hey, back off, man. I'm Mormon. Yep. That's anti Mormonism. Right. But you're not really a practicing Mormon. No. You know, you, but this is what they do. This is the game they play. Yes. And so if you've ever seen the, it was called the Surreal Ball. It's 1972, I believe. The photos were not supposed to leak out. It was a straight up, basically, um, I, I hesitate to say satanic, but it was pretty close. The invitations they mailed out were all written backwards to be read in a mirror, which is part of Aleister Crowley's practice was to learn to write, speak, and think backwards. Yep. If you look at the photos of this party, everything was inverted. Everything, there were... Baby parts, dolls, not actual babies, but baby dolls, parts scattered around tables. There were, there was a lot of MK Ultra, or, and I don't think they called it MK Ultra at the time, but a lot of symbols of people who were manipu being manipulated and part of cult, let's just say. Yeah. And there were celebrities there. Salvador Dali was there. Salvador Dali was a wackadoo anyway. Amazing art. I love his art, but he's insane. Yeah, he was nuts. He was absolutely the, nuts. The, the Disney, he did a Disney cartoon that he drew for Disney that is wacko. Yeah, well, this is who was hanging out there. And it was the, this party, the elite of the elites. There are uh, women wearing full-on deer heads with antlers and all kind of crazy stuff. And so those who don't who aren't in the know as to how this works they look at it and say wow it's just they're mimicking surreal art it's just um it's just a bunch of rich people doing what rich people do no and i think we've talked about this before but they run parties like this and eyes wide shut the movie was supposedly sort of a 
cinematic window into this world. Yeah. So if you've ever seen Eyes Wide Shut, and it's funny because the Rothschilds have distanced themselves so much from this thing. They don't want to hear about it. They don't want to talk about it. It, it, it happened in 72, so most of those people are either older or gone. But their kids, people try to talk to them, but they just walk away because it still goes on. Oh, yeah, but they don't want to admit that. If they admit that it goes on, I mean, whoa. There's all kind of accusations and some fairly good proof that they're involved in all kind of child trafficking, human trafficking, drugs, prostitution worldwide, kidnapping of people, whacked out experiments that they, they fund. Besides the geopolitical experiments and also societal experiments that are pretty well documented, you know, how they just create chaos or how they drive up or drive down the market just to see how people react. They don't like somebody. They will just force them out of business. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a sick world that these people live in. They have no conscience. They have no allegiance. And they, outside of people exposing them, they are not a family that you really hear a lot about. No. And, and I think it's planned that way. I think it's one of those things that they realized that they were having problems being able to do and pull the strings like they wanted to being out in the public. So I think they planned that to, to basically fall back into the shadows because they can live the lives they want. They can have their eyes wide shut parties and no one pays attention because who are the Rothschilds? They're not a Kardashian out in the middle of everything and everyone can see and they're not all flashy and everything else. They're in the shadows, pulling the strings and doing whatever they want. They are very, very quiet as a family. And a rule that I, I learned a long time ago when I was first getting jobs and, and starting to work and, and moving up in companies to like, I don't know, a management position or assistant management position, I learned very early on how you truly figure out who's in charge, like who is truly in charge. And that's the person you cannot criticize. Yes. So let's say that let's say you have a manager, nobody respects them, nobody likes them, and the actual person is who's in charge is somebody else in the store because they've been there longer, everybody respects them. You can criticize the manager all day long. People yuck it, yuck, yuck. You take a shot at that person or you question this other person and everyone shuts up. They tell you you're off base or they walk away. That's the person in charge. Yep. And it seems to me that the Rothschilds on the world stage, the, the elite of the elite, the richest of the richest, have escaped any kind of scrutiny, any kind of criticism, any kind of deep dives outside of, quote, conspiracy theorists and people yep. who, uh, you know, pe- people who are labeled as kooks, people who are labeled as liars and so forth. Nobody criticizes the Rothschilds and they fly right under the radar. And that tells me a lot. It does. They are, they are the ones in charge. They are the ones, you know, like you said, they're the ones that you can't criticize. You see every once in a while, the conspiracy theorists and the conspiracy theorists that, that do question them are, are linked to people like we've mentioned before, Alex Jones and everyone else. Oh, you're a kook. Like that Alex Jones guy. You're, you're a kook. Like, you know, Bill Cooper, you're whatever. They've made anybody who questions a kook. Yeah. They, oh, well, what have they done? What 
what are the Rothschilds done? They, you know, they're bankers. What, what's the big deal? And, Show me the proof. And they are, <laughs> that is another thing I got to give the Rothschilds. They are very good at having other people do their dirty work. So nothing comes back to them. Nothing. Show, show me. Show me the proof. It's very hard to find the act, like the detailed proof on the Rothschilds. You have to you have to connect a lot of dots, and that's where people say, "Well, you know, the dots you're connecting could go this way or that way, and you're choosing to go this way with them." No, it's there. It's just they are hidden. They're behind the scenes. They're pulling the strings, and you can find the connections. You just have to do a lot of digging, a lot. Yeah, and those connections are just just thin enough that they're easy for someone to say, oh, you're just reaching. Absolutely. 100%. I can't recommend if, if you're going to deep dive on any family that is supposedly part of the, the Illuminati, the head of the Illuminati, the one world system. If you're going to choose one family to really knuckle down on, I pick the Rothschilds because we've just literally scratched the surface. Oh, there's so much more to this family. I mean, it's just one of those things. We just, like you said, we scratch the surface on it just enough because like we like to do, we like to whet your appetite and make you go find the, you know, every, the, the real insanity with these. And again, I highly recommend realhistorychan.com. And the guy's name is uh, Mike King. Uh, and he wrote this in 2015, Planet Rothschild, Volume 1 and Volume 2. It will blow your mind. You know how I am. It's got to be well-resourced. This guy lays it out, and he brings the, the, the receipts. He brings the proof. It's the best I've ever seen. So yeah. I highly recommend that. I'm going to have to get that one and read it. We, we got to wrap it up, man. We're out of time, and there's so much more to talk about, but we, we got to move on. Yeah. It was, it's definitely fascinating. I mean, the Rothschilds are definitely a fascinating one. They're a frightening family, in my opinion. And they've done more world harm than they than I don't even think they've ever pretended to do good. They, they are just out for themselves. This is what narcissism, and this is what uh, somebody, a family that has no loyalties to anybody but themselves and could care less about hum, humanity, civilization, anything. This is what it reaps, and it's yeah. awful. It is, and it's one of those things. It comes from one of those families where most of the family now has never had a day without money. Oh, no. They don't know what it's like to be us. They don't know what it's like to work for a dollar bill. They just know what it's like to have money, and, well, we're just peasants below them. We're an inconvenience to them. Okay, before we close, we have to mention real quick, if you haven't heard the news, the Georgia Guidestones were blown up. What? Yes. So the other day, somebody blew up one of the columns of the Georgia Guidestones, and the next morning, because of a safety hazard, the county came in and demolished the whole thing. It's gone. It's out of here. Bye-bye. So if you didn't know that, go look it up. We don't have time to go into the details. I'll probably talk a lot about it on the Midweek Podcast because I have my own theories behind it. But the Georgia Guidestones are no more. They've been removed. Wow. So that's probably going to be part of my midweek podcast. And we'll be back next week with a whole new topic. We're going to start something new. And so that'll be a lot of fun. In the meantime, I'm Big D. I'm Brandon. And we're out of here. See you later.